0: Welcome to episode three hundred and thirty-five of the Reformed Brotherhood. I'm Jesse,
1: and I'm Tony, and we are proud members of the Society of Reformed Podcasters.
0: Hey, brother. Hey, brother. It's time to start our conversation on the ten words. We got a whole series in front of us, and isn't just a good feeling when you have a series in front of you you're just looking forward to it. Yeah. I mean, it's going to be definitive. So we know there's going to be just so much good stuff that comes out of this. So much meat as it were on the proverbial bone. So I love it. We're on, like on the cusp, the precipice of yeah. some really good conversation. And that's exactly where everybody's finding us today. It's true. It's true.
1: I, I like a good series and I like uh, I like building on top of things and I like yeah. I just, it's just a warm and fuzzy. It feels good to have like a whole set of things in front of me to look forward to.
0: Exactly. It's like when you wake up and you're on vacation and it's that early morning feeling of this idea of like the whole day is ahead of you. Yeah, There's all these possibilities and potentialities, but you just know it's going to be good because you're on vacation. So That's true. this is kind of like that. I mean, we've crossed over six half dozen metaphors already so far. And people are just saying like, stop talking about the thing you are going to talk about. So Let's pause for a second and let's affirm and let's deny. And I always like to give it over to you because you switched up on me. Sometimes you like to go with the deny against first and the affirming after. What do, I can see you I can see you pausing and being introspective there.
1: Yeah, I'll I'll start with my denial mostly because I think this is one of those denials that I could probably rant on. And if I start with it, then that puts a limit on it. <laughs> okay. So I'm I'm calling this denying, I'm denying answering a fool according to his folly. Ooh, uh, so in one part, I'm the fool because I've answered the fool according to his folly. Uh, I, I don't know what it is. I, I mean, I do know what it is. They designed it to be addictive and to, to, uh, suck you in, uh, but just Twitter. It's just the worst. And for whatever reason, over the past couple of weeks, I've gotten engaged to like argue with Layton flowers and a bunch of provisionists and they just, I, I won't even say they cannot, but they refuse to characterize or acknowledge that their understanding of, of reformed theology, Calvinism, is perhaps not uh, not as clear as they would like it to be. So, for example, like Leighton Flowers will say, "Don't uh, you know if you have a theological system that um, I just saw this today because I looked on there just to, to pull a quote. If you have a theological system that assigns." um, sin and the the damage to the world, to the world, then that by definition is trying to give God glory. And his, his argument or his implicit argument is that Calvinism assigns the cause of sin or the source of sin to God. And therefore actually is diminishing his glory. And it's like, we explicitly argue that God is not the author origin of sin. So, right. you know, he, to, to characterize it charitably, he's trying to make the argument that our, our theology logically, leads to that conclusion, but he never actually makes that argument. He just straight up says, no, Calvinism argues that God is the author of cinema. Like we, we explicitly in all of our confessions deny that, that contention. So yeah, make your argument, but here's the thing. This is what I'm learning about latent flowers. And I don't want to attribute, I'm not trying to attribute, um, ill motives or anything. I don't know the guy. He seems like a genuine, he seems like a genuine guy who is trying to, Preserve what he believes. He's trying to defend God's God's honor or whatever, um, which God doesn't need His honor to be defended. But he he's trying to. I think he's trying to do the right thing, Um, but he goes about it in these weird ways. But there's no real benefit to engaging him. And when you engage this, all it does is sort of like bring these bad arguments to the forefront more. Like that's the nature of Twitter. So like the only way to win is to not play the game. And, and I'm, I've been guilty more often than not of playing the game and, and everybody loses when we play the game. So I'm I'm saying along with the, the proverbist, 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 proverbialist, like uh, d- don't answer this fool according to his fault. And I'm not saying fool in like the, you know, don't write me your letters that the one who calls his brother fool. I'm just using the language, invoking the language a little bit. Um, we shouldn't get wrapped up in playing Playing the game that he's determining the rules on, and it, the, he's just the example. There's all sorts of situations online. You know, it might be like this anti tomist movement. I got into a long conversation, and it was all about the definition of the term Thomist. And this guy that I was interacting with, he's going to define it however is suitable for his argument. Right. And if right. I if I spend all my energy trying to engage uh, what the real definition is. I'm just going to get sucked into an argument that I can't possibly win because he's set the rules of engagement and he's stacked the deck. And there's nothing wrong with that, right? That Like it may feel like a shady thing, but like that's how debating and arguing and, and like this kind of thing works is like you, sometimes you stack the deck against your opponent and that's fine. Like, and if your opponent falls for that trap, then that's, Not necessarily an underhanded tactic, but if you recognize it and you still get sucked in like I have, this is me chastising myself like I have, then you're just wasting time and you're just, it's, and it's the dopamine hit, right? It feels really good to have another, to look at your notifications and another comment has come up and another like has come up. So don't answer a fool according to his folly. Don't be the fool who is sucked into Twitter. Like I was this last week. It's just not worth it. It's just not worth it.
0: (laughs) That's a good word. We've, uh, you know, our listeners have probably noted that we've talked about this for quite a while. We come back to it from time to time, but I do appreciate this idea of being humble in that it's just easy. And I think sometimes, like on those online conversations, would you say for you, sometimes like the hope springs eternal in that you're hoping you're going to have a decent conversation with somebody about something. And that we can just even have an, a mutual exchange of ideas. And then somebody you might say like, okay, that's a good point. I didn't think yeah. about that. Or yeah, let me change how I was saying that. Yeah. So even if they're conveying to you, you've just misunderstood what I said, or better yet, maybe I didn't communicate in the way that I thought I was doing. That would be enough. It's just yeah. really hard because the internet is good at so many things. It's just not good at this thing. Yeah. So yeah, it's really, really tough. And in the theological space, I've certainly been on both sides of that, where you sometimes want to say to somebody, "You keep using that theology. I do not think it yeah. means what you think it means." And yeah. in this particular sense, where not only are the confessions very clear about this idea that God is not the originator of sin, but like they're cogent in that it's not just like a yeah. throwaway comment, like, "Well, here's a mystery that we don't quite understand." How both it's very clear, it's yeah. well supported, so it just makes you feel ugly on the inside and bristle a bit when you when you hear somebody say something like that. You want to be like, "Listen, I got to defend this. I got to say something about yeah. that." yeah because it's so clear that's not what we're talking yeah. about the internet is really good at setting up like abuses of bad argumentation and then that becoming such a distraction that you actually can't have decent conversation yeah. or it just derails the whole thing and even if it's decent it's not particularly profitable
1: yeah uh, don't get me wrong like if you if you are convicted that twitter is a, a profitable platform and you found a way to make it work and to communicate effectively and not get sucked into this dopamine cycle that is is literally what twitter is designed to do I don't want to come down. Like, there's no law here. It, it's this isn't a, a new law that Tony is trying to impose. I'm just finding that for the most part, the way that particularly Twitter, um, although Facebook does this too, but particularly Twitter, because of the way that communication is structured, I've been through all the arguments of saying, like, well, I'm not really trying to convince this person. I'm 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 presenting <laughs> the argument so that people right. are looking at it. But Twitter is not designed for someone to be a coming across or observing an oh. argument that unfold Facebook is even a little bit better for that, where like you can see the whole thread in context. It's easy to follow. Twitter almost almost intentionally breaks up your your conversation thread. Sometimes I even have a tough time following where the conversation I'm in is going, let alone coming behind and trying to watch someone else's. Um, So yeah, it's if you feel differently than I do, then you do you. And that's fine. This is an area of Christian wisdom. I'm not I'm not going to slam on someone who has a different take on it. I'm just finding and I would maybe encourage people who are really active on Twitter to think through this question. It just really is not, in my experience, a profitable exercise. Uh, it's very rare. It happens, and it's. I've been in converse And I've I've had conversations where I look at it and say, "Yeah, I, I didn't approach that right," or "Yeah, that's a really good point that I hadn't thought of." It happens, but it's so rare. I'm just not sure that the juice, like the juice, isn't worth the squeeze. In this, it takes so much effort and energy and time to do that, and all of that to say, like think of, even thinking about the fact that you're generating revenue for Twitter with every everything you post and what are the moral implications. I mean, well, we aren't aren't talking about it today, but this will come up at some point through our conversation and through Christian ethics here. At some point, like you're generating revenue for a company. And when you're knowingly doing that, it's not as though you're you're on the hook morally for every decision they make and every penny they spend, but you're supporting a company or or a revenue sort of generating project that's not morally neutral. So, those are all just things to think about. and I'm just coming to the conviction and i've I've come to this conviction before. And this is, this is why it's so insidious is it really is like an addictive thing I'll jump on Twitter to check out one thread that someone points out to me. And then it'll be, it'll be like weeks before I realize I'm back in this sort of dopamine cycle of, of these dopamine hits. And, and all of a sudden I'm like, what am I even doing? I, I've been up till, you know, I, I've, I've been awake until nine 30 or 10 o'clock when I usually go to sleep at eight 30 or nine o'clock, just, just waiting for a, a single comment to refresh on this argument I'm in. And that's, that's what they're doing, is they're trying to get you involved. So anyway, that's my rant. Uh, like I said, this could be a, a super long thing, so I'm glad we've got some constraints to make us move on. But it, just think about how you use your time. Is this the way that you wanna use your time? Is the thing you're trying to accomplish most effectively accomplished through Twitter, Facebook, whatever? Is this the most effective way to accomplish the goal? Probably not. Maybe, I mean, that's that's a Christian prudence thing, but uh, at least think about that question.
0: Right. That's great. And at the risk of maybe extending this too deep or betraying where we're going in this whole conversation, that's going to span multiple episodes. I think part of what you're asking is also to assess whether or not that very thing, technology, that interaction has become an idol of some yeah. kind mm-hmm. in some way, whether it brings you comforts, or justification, some sense of superiority or feeling of importance. All those things are worth evaluating. So yeah. I, I appreciate you bringing them up. And I'm just going to say a hearty amen to that denial and just come along with you. I have nothing else to add except I really appreciate you being honest about yeah. that. And I know you and I talk about this quite a bit about like our interaction online. Yeah. And aside from like the times and the mics in front of us, I know you and I have broken down a lot just the way in which God has created us and the way in which I'm trying not to be pejorative purposely here. But the way in which we know that certain applications try to prey on that vulnerability, that's a real quantity. Like there are people literally meeting, and I'll use this word because it's scheming, you know, finding a way, of course, to draw attention. Attention is a commodity that is very, very important and is very valuable. And so we just need to be realistic with that so that. We don't go into something like using an app or the way in which it gives us notifications, thinking that it's just mere innocence and that somehow we are being drawn right. in unnecessarily. Yeah, that's not at all what's actually happening. So it's just good to go into it with eyes that are very wide open. And part of that, I think, pairs well with what we're about to talk about with idolatry and all kinds of other things. Yeah, so definitely, I'm just going to move us into the happy space if that's okay with you. Let's do it. it I, listen, I love books. You love books. We all love books. We do. And again, I think I'm always perpetually late to the party on things when it involves the internet. But I just came across this website which I'm really enjoying. It's called Bookfinder.com. Are you familiar with this? I am not. So it's a. It's, so here's the thing. It's a bare bones designed website. It looks like it hasn't changed since like 1997. It kind of feels like the Craigslist for books. But it's an aggregated meta search engine that simultaneously looks for a book on Amazon, eBay, Abe, like Alibris, Biblio, and like a thousand or like a hundred thousand, I think, indie booksellers. And it'll find copies available and range them by price, supply, give you a link for like the purchase of the source. It's really awesome. I'm also discovering that like you can get a lot of great books on eBay, especially books that are like slightly out of print or on the margin. So I'm just recommending Bookfinder.com. I hope somebody will go and use it and find, especially for theology, find something maybe that's like slightly out of print or has it been in print for a little while. And it's just a lovely way to like look at all the places for books. So if you're like me, and sometimes like I'm, I'm sure you're like this too, you ever like looking for a book that's like not a normal book, so to speak, like, quote, unquote, yeah. a quote-unquote normal book. I found this to be like a nice little opportunity. And of course, like we talked about thrift books and all, all that stuff is in there. It's embedded in there. So I just love that it puts it all in one place, but it's like, it's, there's no bones about this. Like it's, it's a minimalist website cause it's supposed to just do it's utilitarian. It's a workhorse. And if you're like me where it's just like, show me all the books. And then I say like, I, I'm afraid what you heard internet was show me some of the books. What I said was show me all the books. I found bookfinder.com to be super fun for that. So I'm firming it.
1: Yeah. Yeah, this is a pretty cool website. Um there it's not able to find me a first edition copy of Christianity and liberalism by Jay Greshamation. <laughs> so I'm not sure. I'm just kidding. Of course it's a valuable thing. I, I would I would never I mean I have a I have a one year old in the house. I would never purchase a first edition book. Um <laughs> I, I would be I feel like that would be some great sin against against people who love books for me to put a first edition book in a house with a one year old. Um, but yeah, if you're into that stuff or if you're having a tough time finding something, I know uh, a while back I was trying to find a book by Meredith Klein. I I didn't find it and I, I don't care anymore, but I was trying to find a book by Meredith Klein and I could not find a copy. This would have been very helpful. So thanks yeah. for coming late to the party on this one, Jesse. Yeah, I'm
0: Sorry really about really that. Again, like electronicbay.com, like the yeah. yeah, <laughs> website seems so much <laughs> in vogue like several years ago and I'm kind of coming back to it in a weird way for lots of things and I'm finding that it's maybe a little bit more reputable than I, I used to think it was and there's a lot yeah. more like kind of a structured selling process on there now so I'm also finding that I've I purchased some books from there recently and they they show up and I'm like I just what a time to be alive and get books yeah. do you know what I'm saying I do like, Find the books and I, then somebody say, I will sell you this book.
1: Yeah. I think the most, va- this would be very valuable, particularly for students who are looking for tech- yes. like inexpensive textbooks, exactly. even theology. Like you think of like theology textbooks. When I was in seminary, there was like some theology books that you buy. And I'm like, you guys know we're in seminary, right? <laughs> like they would, they would have us buy this like Oxford university press monograph on some super niche, like only one guy in the history of the world has ever written on this topic and the book is like $780 and they're like, well, yeah, you need it. you need it. We're going to have you read like seven paragraphs out of it. So you got to get the whole book and you're like, I- I'm not going to be able to eat this semester. So I think this would be really helpful for people who are trying to find cheap books, or if you're trying to find a book that's just hard to find, this is probably a yeah. really good resource.
0: I'm with it. Yeah. Cuts it like everybody who's listening right now that had like some kind of undergrad in like, Medicine, Any technical health, discipline. Biology. Yeah, they're all just screaming like, you think your books are expensive. And, and yeah. you're right, your your books are very costly. And there's lots of, we just can't even get into that. That'll, that'll be a whole other podcast about yeah. the economics of printing and copyright and textbooks and all that other stuff. But uh, yeah, I just, the thing is, we joke about this so much, but like I have books everywhere and I love it. You know, like I, I'm unapologetic about it. I if if there's a book that I want to get and I can get it, especially in a way that's like relatively inexpensive, I'm just going to get that book. If people are just like, "Will you read that book?" I say it's almost irrelevant. Yes, yep. of course, I'm like, I I want to read that book, but uh, I just I, I love books. Yeah. So. This is
1: going to be the nerdiest thing that most people hear all week. So this is this is like a bonus affirmation, I guess. Uh, one of the things I've been doing is I've been going back through and cataloging all of my books. And it's like, it. it's like this, it. it's like this almost like meditative moment in the morning where I pick the next book that I'm going to catalog and I enter it into Zotero. So I have a running bibliography of my whole library yes. and then I find the right spot in my shelf and I move all like, it's like this whole morning ritual that I do, but it's like super satisfying to like update my bibliography and. And like my favorite thing, this is just the nerdiest. My favorite thing about my bibliography is when I have books with more than more than one book per author and I get yes. to see all the little dashes of yes. like, it's just, uh, it's like one of those, uh, super satisfying YouTube videos. This is, this is the super satisfying thing for me. And it's like, I get the the tingly feeling that you get with AMSR or whatever it is. When I yes. see all those, like right now, Inc is the winner. Cause I got like six volumes right in a row of Inc. So we're gonna we're gonna quote a little
0: bit of Bobbing today. I think you, you better believe it. I mean, there's like a non-zero chance in any episode that we're gonna quote a little bit of Bobbing, it's but it's true. This is the thing that really this is where I, loved ones the podcast fails you, and I'm sorry it does because <laughs> you can't see what I can see, and oh, that is the excitement, the, the sheer. It's not even excitement, Tony. It was like a sheer joy. Mm-hmm. It was an internal joy that became externally manifest. It's a bit like we have referenced this before when you were put in the newspaper as the cheering <laughs> of like the US Bowl, with your arm yes. like uplifted, almost in like the Super Mario pose of like yes. breaking the brick. There was so much joy. Like I, I'm a little bit worried that we're not going to have the attendant and required amount of joy for the law that we're about to talk about. <laughs> that yeah, just maybe my library is. Yeah. yeah. So so it's great. Yeah, everybody love your books, cherish your books and appreciate what, again, what a time to be alive in the world that God has given us access to all these things and that we can just own like, you know, like the average person's library is like, is like a stately King's library of former centuries. Yeah. I mean, it's just have access Anyway, I've belabored the point. What are you affirming with?
1: So this is going to be a little bit off the beaten path. So there's a movement. I'm not affirming this movement necessarily, although I don't, I don't necessarily have a problem with this movement, but there's a movement that is, they call themselves First Amendment or constitutional auditors. Have you ever heard of this? I have heard of this. Yeah. So, what a constitutional auditor is, and I'm not encouraging this behavior. I'm not discouraging this behavior, but I don't. I don't think this is like something we should all be doing. Uh, a, a constitutional auditor is someone basically who um, sometimes intentionally provokes an in, an engagement with law enforcement. Or more often than not, I think just is aware of what's going on with law enforcement and has a camera on them, and so what the intent is a lot of times is when they're in, either when they engage law enforcement or they're engaged by law enforcement, they will sort of provoke a response to try to audit. This is why they're called auditors to audit whether or not the law enforcement is respecting constitutional rights. So, for right. example, um, a, a person who is stopped by law enforcement and says, um, "I I decline to answer questions." Um, because of my Fifth Amendment rights. They'll say that in order to see if the law enforcement officer will continue to press them or will, will, I mean, the law enforcement's within their right to continue to press them or will try to say like, well, you don't have a right to not answer questions. For example, I'm not affirming that. That's not the subject of my affirmation, but you have to know what that is in order to understand my affirmation. I stumbled on a YouTube video and I got this through watching a video on a, a channel called Tom the Lawyer or something like that, who's like an injury lawyer who does reviews of like, like police interactions and court cases and stuff. Um, Real like Matt Butts level stuff. I would love to see a Matt Butts YouTube channel that does this. But the channel that I've been watching is called Audit the Audit. And so this guy, what this guy does is he takes auditor videos and he basically reviews the auditor videos. This is like super meta. But what I really like about this channel and why I'm affirming it is This is really niche to the United States, although I think you could probably do the same thing in most countries that have um, laws and constitutions and written, you know, um, uh, uh, citizen rights. What he does is he he takes one of these and he actually goes through the video. He pulls up he's not a lawyer and he's very clear about that, but he pulls up the relevant laws and and even case law. He'll dig into um supreme court findings for at a state level to analyze these things and he basically goes through the video he engages the interaction he points out you know who does what right um who does what wrong what laws are relevant what statutes what uh, constitutional rights are relevant and then at the end he assigns a grade to the people involved so usually it's a, a there's a lot of traffic stops in these just by the nature of what auditors do auditors uh, these constitutional auditors seem to elicit and engage these kinds of things at traffic stops more often than not. So there's a lot of these traffic stops, but this guy's an equal opportunity guy too. I, I watched one yesterday where literally everybody in the video got an A plus. The person who was being stopped got an A plus for his, his behavior, his knowledge of the law, the way he exercised his rights respectively. The police officers got an A plus for the way they executed their duty. I watched one today where the guy, the auditor, didn't have any clue what the laws actually were. He was 100% wrong about thinking he had a right to assert a certain thing or to assert a certain right when he actually did not. And the law enforcement officer got a B plus, um, And he got a B plus only because he should have called for backup before he tried to pull the guy out of the car and arrest him. So I think this is a no no nobody making something is neutral right this guy has a right. perspective he has an agenda and but he's not this isn't an anti police officer or an anti government youtube channel um most of the videos that come to him i think that he's reviewing the the law enforcement officers don't do a great job um uh, but the other thing that i i really like about this and this is something that i'm actually convicted about in the united states our law enforcement and our, our personal rights, they are synergistic, right? They, they work together and they're supposed to work together. And where traffic stops or engagements of law enforcer, enforcement go wrong is either when when the law enforcement doesn't understand the law and they're trying to do something they don't have the authority to, which is not good, or when the citizen doesn't understand what they're obligated to do by the laws of the land. So this channel, in my opinion, and I'm not a legal expert, by any stretch of the name. I don't know anything about most of this stuff other than what I've been able to cobble together online. This channel also helps you as a citizen understand how to properly engage law enforcement, how to assert your rights and to pre- preserve your rights, protect your rights. Like one of the th- one of the points he makes all the time, um, the, the Fifth Amendment right to not answer questions that may lead to your incrimination, that you don't have to be on trial to exercise that right. You don't have to have done anything wrong to exercise that right. So when you're stopped by a police officer and they're asking you questions that have nothing to do with the stop, you're well within your rights, if you'd like to, to invoke your Fifth Amendment rights to remain silent. You're totally within your rights to do that. But then he's also very clear, it may not be prudent to do that, It may not actually help the situation to do that. And he'll talk about when it's appropriate, when it's not. He'll say like, yeah, if the law enforcement officer is asking you you know, where you're going Uh, and you feel like that could be an incriminating question, which maybe it is, um, then don't answer. But he says like, you have to explicitly say, the reason you're not answering the question is because you're exercising your right to remain silent. Because right. if you don't do that, then it's actually suspicious that you're not answering. You just seem evasive. So check out the channel. The videos are not short. They're like 20 minutes long. They're they're like full wow. TV episodes. Um, so what I tend to do is like, I put them on when I'm washing dishes and I just kind of listen to them. If something comes up that I want to stop, then I'll stop washing dishes and I'll pause it and I'll come back to it later. But they're really, really informative. Um, they bleep out all the swearing so you don't have to necessarily worry about um the the language um there's nothing that in, as far as i've seen there's nothing that involves like a lot of violence i mean there's like f- like scuffles and and fistfights but there's no like shootings that are on this channel it's not that kind of um that kind of youtube channel so check it out i think it's really good i think it's really really educational and i've really really enjoyed watching them
0: that's a really deep cut right there. Yeah. I mean, you're, apparently you're a Renaissance man when you're washing dishes. If that's like what you're listening to.
1: I do a lot when I'm washing dishes. I watch a lot of everything from Pokemon tutorials on how to beat the newest raid to how to properly engage law enforcement. And don't get me wrong. I, I fully support law enforcement. I, I'm one of those people that I, you know you do. I would be more likely to side with the with the police officer in an interaction than I would be sure. to the person who's being stopped. Uh, and that may not be good. I mean that that might not be the right position. I'm not, I'm not necessarily saying that that's a great thing, but just my natural disposition is to to side with um, with the law enforcement officer. Part of that is I know several law enforcement officers. One of the people who is one of the first listeners to our show is a retired law enforcement officer. But he's also the first person when he sees one of these videos that comes out and the law enforcement has just been off, just right. awful. He's the first right. person to say like, yeah, that guy shouldn't have a badge. He's being an idiot. Um, but there was one there was one that I watched the other day. The one that I watched yesterday that was so crazy is the guy. Um, and this was the one where everybody got an A plus. The guy that got stopped is a like a firearms instructor and he was driving a vehicle with no registration and he literally had like a Glock strapped to his chest. And, and like he's a, he's a black dude driving through Baltimore. So like the, all of the videos that you see online and all of the, the um, racism is real. And uh, there are a lot of, issues with the way police interact with minorities. Um, So, so don't hear this wrong, but this is a black guy driving through Baltimore with a Glock strapped to his chest and a trunk full of fully automatic armed loaded machine guns. And, the way that he handled the situation. He stopped, he put his hands on the steering wheel. He announced as they walked to the door, I'm armed. I'm a certified instructor. My hands are in view. The police officer were professional. They said, here's what we have to do for everybody's safety. We have to disarm you. Here's the relevant statute that, that allows us to disarm you for a traffic stop. The guy acknowledged, I know that my car is not registered. I'm actually driving it to, to a location to get an inspected. So I, can... everything was done right. And the stop went without incident. They waited for backup. They disarmed him. They checked his paperwork to make sure he had had relevant licenses for the, for the weapons he had. Then they returned his, his weapons to him. They didn't even write him a ticket actually. So it, it, there are a lot of really, really instructional informational things, things like the police in a traffic stop. And this is not good. It's not bad. This is their job. So it is good. This is their job. They're investigating a crime. And so when they're asking you questions about how your day is and where you're going and where you're coming from, they're asking you those questions in pursuit of investigating a crime in most cases. So it's not that that's bad. That's their job. That's what we want them to do. Um, But that also means that you need to be intentional about what you say to them. Um, My wife, your sister tells a funny story. Um, She got pulled over for speeding and she um, she came under some like immense conviction at the moment that like she was speeding. She was breaking the law. So she like broke down crying before the officer even got to the window and he came up and he was like, oh, my gosh, what's wrong? And she's like, I just feel really bad. You're doing such a good job. You did the right thing by stopping me. (laughs) This dude didn't know what to do. And so he started trying to make jokes and he's like, do you have any weapons in the car? And She's like, No. He's like, do you have a bazooka in your purse? And she's like, no. So like, but like, those are questions you have to, like, that's a funny incident. And like the, the right. local police weren't trying to incriminate my wife for any reason. She trying to lighten the mood probably. But those are things that you have to be aware of that sometimes when they ask non-seemingly non-relevant questions. They're trying to determine your response. They're trying to determine if you seem evasive, if you seem willing to answer questions. All of these things are part of the investigation they're conducting to identify whether you seem like you have committed a crime or not. And if you seem like you've committed a crime, you seem like you're acting out of the ordinary, that actually in many states gives them probable cause to move forward as though you've committed a crime. So this, I just, I've had a really good time watching this. I've learned a ton about things. And again, this guy's not a lawyer, but he really he pulls up all of the relevant laws. There was one the other day uh, that I saw, he not only pulled up the relevant laws, he researched which law was in place at the time of the traffic stop. The law has now since changed. So he was able to identify this was the law at the time. Here's what a court likely would have ruled under that law. Here's what they likely would rule now. So it's it's just very, very informational. It's relatively unbiased. He's not out to get the police. He's not out to get citizens. He's really just looking at the saying, this constitutional audit thing is a good thing. It's important for our society to be able to hold law enforcement accountable. But in order to do that, we have to know what we're doing. So if you're going to be an auditor, don't be a jerk about it. Know the laws. Don't don't assert your rights when you don't actually have those rights. Um, so yeah, check it out. Audit the Audit is the name of the YouTube channel. Uh, I just think it's great. He doesn't bomb you with a bunch of stupid advertisements. There's usually like a two-minute advertisement at the beginning for like some VPN company, usually that's the big one lately. Um, So yeah, check it out.
0: This, this affirmation is at least a really great reminder that even in this temporal space, there are laws and you know, what's important is to know your accountability and responsibility under the law. And of course that is a shadow (laughs) shadow of what, what God gives us. But I honestly, I think even if you hadn't set me up for that beautiful segue, it still proves the point, doesn't it? Yeah. That we ought to know what the law is. We really do need to understand it in its fullness, both the precept and then what's behind the precept, and then understand what our responsibilities are under the law and what they're not under yeah. the law. Yeah. Or and this is not to say, I think we made this argument before, but we're not abrogating the law. Instead, we're trying to understand if God says the law is. Of great light to us. And of course, it does have a hard edge, which we've talked about elsewhere, but that also it is for our good and for God's glory. Then let's be about that thing. So we're going to be camping out, I mean, directly in Exodus 20 for quite some time, just setting up roots, nailing in the tent pegs, getting really comfortable, hanging out there. And so much, of course, of what is given to us by God's grace in Exodus 20 to His people, His people for all time, is wonderfully direct and very clear. And so we talked last week or the last episode about what I would call like God's prolegomena, like all of the precepts, all the stuff he's bringing to bear before he gets into these lovely words. And they are really beautiful that he gives to his people by way of instruction, far from just trying to hem them in in a particular direction, but to give them freedom. And so we've already talked about this setup where God says he speaks these words. He says, I'm the Lord, your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. And I thought we had a really great time really trying to understand what that means. And we get to really what we kind of say is the first commandment, the first word, and that is, you shall have no other gods before me. And that's where we're kind of kind of start in our conversation, that this is the beginning of the law. And we've talked about the table of the law and the first portion of that table really being more more directly related to God and how we relate to him and the second table being more about how we relate to, to our fellow man. Of course it's all true. But let's let's get into like the implications of the script commandment. I think yeah. I always thought we had, and apparently now it's just been a fantasy in my mind, we did always <laughs> on this. But I think that when you and I envision talking about this, we want to talk about like the implication. What does it mean? Like as if like yeah. we were gonna try to be like John Flavel or Martin Luther and we were going to write our own catechism out of these things. How do we explain to somebody, here are the implications of what it means to talk about this first commandment? So let's just so everybody knows, that's where we're going. We could, we could get super technical. And of course, I mean, we will at some point because <laughs> we always do that. But no, I do. think our aim here, right, is like, so what does that mean? What does it really matter? What, why is it, what, what's embedded in these things beyond just what's on the face and the face is important, but beyond that, what can we take from this in terms of like practical living of theological application?
1: Yeah. I think one of the things that I want to, as we talk through these, you know, there are certain elements of each of these commandments that are pretty much obvious. Like, of course, don't, don't worship Zeus. Like that, that that's an implication of this law, or it's not even an implication. It's a straight, straight out explicit yeah. statement in the Bible that you're not allowed to, to worship. Um, I don't know that I would say false gods um, because in the, the biblical mind, and I think this would be something to talk about on a different episode there seems to be a certain level in the Bible of acknowledgment that some of these divine or some some of these other entities that the Bible says not to worship there's an actual existence to them. So I know that Christians go back and forth on this and I don't want to spend too much time on this, but not every not every entity in the Bible that the that the people worship is actually like a f- totally made up illusory thing. I think most of the time, maybe not most of the time, a lot of the time we're talking about demons that have set themselves up as gods to be worshiped and the people have been tricked. Uh, I think Zeus, I think the Greek gods are probably, that's probably what's going on. Um,
0: get catfished.
1: Yeah. The, right? the the listener is like, please talk about that more. We're not going to right now. Uh, that's a relatively obvious uh, statement in the text. Don't worship things that aren't God. But there are, there are elements or things that come along with that that we might not ordinarily associate with worship or with having other gods. And, and so i wanted this is the way that bavink in uh, reformed ethics volume 2 s- separates or kind of delineates this and this is not identical across the reformed um the reformed tradition uh, but it's relatively uniform so he kind of identifies three things there's idolatry and polytheism which is i think the most obvious part of this i don't know that we need to talk a lot about it although What is an idol is probably a question that we need to dig into a little bit, maybe for another episode. Superstition. I think this is a huge thing in our culture. There is so much superstition and, and just weird sort of like grassroots spiritualism that's just endemic in our culture. This is actually probably the biggest first commandment violation that you see in modern Western culture is this concept of superstition. And then he calls out the invocation of saints and angels. This threefold structure, and then Calvin, I'm going to read from Calvin here in a minute. Calvin actually adds a fourth element of things that we are prohibited from doing. And the fourth element is failing to give thanks to God properly for his mighty works. So if you look at those four things, although the, the broader Reformed tradition may put certain elements in other commandments. So superstition in the Westminster Confession is actually more, more associated with the second and the third commandment. Superstitious activity, um, it's associated with the second commandment in terms of attributing power to an object. That's that's how it applies to the second commandment. And then misusing the Lord's name as though it's kind of a, a magic spell. That's how superstition is attributed to the third commandment. But ultimately, like the, the idea that superstition is a thing, that there's these other powers out there, that is, in fact, it's basically just attributing something to an, an entity, an object, a concept that really belongs to God. Efficacy, potency is ultimately the Lord's. And so attributing this sort of supernatural potency, that's the definition of of superstition. So those are the three or four things that the commandment prohibits. And then there's obviously the converse of what it requires is, if if misattributing is the prohibition, then properly attributing is the, the positive command. That's where I want to camp out today is looking at these four categories. We'll probably skip over the first one because it's so straightforward, but talking about what superstition is, properly invoking God, only invoking God, and then also making sure we're properly thankful for God's mighty works in our life, but then also just in general. I don't how often do we fail to thank God that the sun rose this morning, that right. the, the universe continued in its orderly course? I mean, I I didn't remember to thank God that gravity continued to work the way it's supposed to this morning but if we're really digging into this we probably should we should spend more time thinking about the fact that i don't have to worry about friction like like friction functioning the way it's supposed to if friction suddenly stopped working the way it's supposed to my car's going to slide off the road right i'm going to like slide out down the stairs because my feet can't stick to the ground those are things we just don't often think about
0: Yeah, it's almost like our affirmations aren't basic enough, right? I don't mean that in like this kind of negative sense, but none of us has ever affirmed gravity. I yeah. I, I affirm like stupid website for books. <laughs> but, you know, like really what we should be saying is the fact that God keeps our feet literally firmly planted on the ground, or to your point with the slipping of the car, like when there's ice, we notice that because it's a deviation from the thing right. that we think should be normal or normative as part of what keeps us safe and keeps the world reliable and in constant order. So I'm with you. I, I like that because What's in this first commandment is this challenge, and this is so high and lofty to me as I was thinking about knowing that we're going to have this talk. It's so expansive, and the standard is higher than I could ever conceive because it's what God is saying to us is the point is that to have a God is to have something in which the heart entirely trusts. Yeah. But that means also, if you go to anything to get satisfaction or support or relief or entertainment or justification apart from God, that we are finding ourselves firmly in the place of disobeying the first commandment. So impounded in all of this is this assumption this of this like basic human nature and element, which is that every person actually has a religious bent. We're so made that we must worship something or someone. Yeah, And the presence of religion in all cultures of the world is really evidence of that fact, right? So it's inevitable that the worship will be expressed by humans. And God is saying, I want to tune you. I've made you to worship. And so you are made in my image, fallen and redeemed. And I'm going to right set, level set, or bring you back to the center of what it means to worship properly. And it starts with this first commandment, just have no other gods. And I actually, this is going to be somewhat like, not fair and maybe a little bit triggering, but... I have some brothers and sisters who come from cultures, in particular, where there are literal physical idols. Yeah, and I think you know that gets invoked a lot. Like uh, you know, there are certain lands where people are literally setting up these idols, which draw their attention, which they pray to worship. And I think sometimes what gets presented is either those cultures are not as sophisticated as the West, which is super unfair, or just that like that's a place where it's like more readily or easily understood. I actually disagree with that. I think in the West. We have just as many idols, honestly. Yeah. And I, If not more. I, yeah, yeah, exactly. And if you sit down, just think about them for 10 seconds, you'll realize that you when when we have this more expansive and appropriate definition, that we put everything in God's place. Anything that brings us comfort distracts us, like anything that gives us satisfaction more than God, that we run to more quickly than God, or that yeah. we see more prolifically, or that we trust more vehemently than God, we, we would find that that list is a long and it is deep. And so I think that we're just everybody's susceptibleness because we have this bent toward a religion, either that is one that is prescribed that's transcendent outside of ourselves or that we build up and is intrinsic yeah. and therefore we appropriate. Either way, we've just got a problem. So Calvin, as usual, was right on the mark when he's just saying, listen, the heart is like a perpetual factory of idols. like It just doesn't stop. Yeah. And you know, like, the thing about a factory is that not only it produces one product, but it finds the thing that it wants that knows it can sell and it produces that thing next and then the next thing after that and the next thing after that. And that's what I find for myself. So, like it's an impossible standard, isn't it? Like we're gonna come this time and time again. But what you're asking us to do, what Bob Inc. has articulated there, is really dramatic, isn't it? Like it's it's basically saying, listen, if God is who he said he was in the prolegomena, then you should have like a zealous respect for who God is. And that zealousness is of such a great standard that's almost impossible for you to achieve, and yet it still gives you life to know that this is what God requires of you. It's again, it's knowing in the law.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And you know, just, just to sort of like underscore that I want to read this, this is from Calvin last week. I said that book four was mostly ethics. I don't know where I got that idea because the Christian ethics are actually scattered throughout the whole of, um, Calvin's institutes. I think I was thinking of Van Maastricht's volume four, which is not out yet, but I know that his ethics are part of that volume four, but Calvin addresses the 10 commandments in book two. Uh, and in uh, chapter seven, eight, sorry, chapter eight. And this is what he says um, kind of in the conclusion part of the conclusion of um, the, the basic part of the First commandment. He says, quote, "If we are content therefore with one God, let us remember what we said before that we are to drive away all invented gods and are not to rend asunder the worship that the one God claims for himself." For it is unlawful to take away even a particle from his glory. Rather, all things proper to him must remain with him. end quote. So so this is where this is where I say like superstition is actually the Western world, I've heard it said that like, if you break up the world into like first, second, third world, which is a sort of actually like a really pejorative way to do it, and sociologists don't use that terminology anymore, but if you were to break it up into like the first world, the second world, the third world, in the third world and in the second world sort of, idolatry takes this really concrete form that you have just described, right? Like. When you go to um, like places in India, there are still physical shrines to to like Krishna and and Shiva. Right. Like there, are, you'll go and you'll find temples where people are literally worshiping statues. Um, you find that in certain Asian countries. You find that a lot in African countries. There's a lot of ancestor worship. Um, so in these developing countries there there are th- this concrete sort of physical idolatry. And because of the way we've sort of thought of like the third world is the developing world and the first, the second world is kind of like the developed but not contributing to the development of the rest of the world world. And then the first world is like, we're fully developed and we're contributing to the rest of the world. We've got this idea that like we've reached the pinnacle in the Western world. And so we don't struggle right. with this anymore. Really all we've done is we've made our idols more abstract. So like whether it's money or sex or prestige or knowledge, uh, I think that's a that's actually a real struggle in the reformed world is we, we tend to venerate and worship this idea of knowledge. And we often do divorce it from the one who is the source of truth, right? We, we pursue knowledge often for knowledge's own sake. That is a form of idolatry. But in the Western world, more and more you see this superstitious attributing cause and effect to mysterious forces kind of a thing. So here's a perfect example. And anyone who's listening that works in the healthcare world will absolutely resonate with this because it is nearly universal, right? If it's a slow day and we haven't received a lot of calls, the last thing anyone will say is, man, it's a slow day today because they are (laughs) 100% confident that if you say it's been a slow day today that the phone volume will pick up that's probably pretty universal or jinx if you right? get right if you get a lot of weird phone calls like if i have a day where i get a lot of like really intense cases or really like strange cases the first thing someone's going to ask me is man is it a full moon today right now they've done studies emergency rooms do fill up faster when there is a full moon and they don't know why But that's not some supernatural power of the full moon, right? right? And and this is where the superstition kicks in. And this is why that's a violation of the first commandment. Because we probably think about that like, oh, that's not a big deal. It's not a big deal if someone says knock on wood when they say something they don't want to happen. The reason that that's a violation of the first commandment is because what you're doing is you're taking what is God's ordinary providence, right? Right. Whether or not the call volume is high, whether or not the emergency room is full, whether or not I say, um, you know, I really hope that our Patreon subscribers continue to increase and don't, yeah, I hope people don't stop signing up for Patreon, knock on wood, right? That's a superstitious thing where you're taking what is part of God's ordinary providence of the normal cause and effect of the universe. You're taking that, you're stealing it away from God's ordinary providence and you're attributing it to, something else. So you're taking what is properly God's and what we should, and this is what I think Calvin is super strong on. He basically says that the first commandment requires us to give thanks to God for all things that happen. And the reason is that all things that happen, happen according to God's good, wise, and powerful decree and his yeah. providence. So whether it is that my my uh, caseload at work explodes because I get a bunch more calls than anyone else does or our emergency room is full or our Patreon subscribers increase or decrease or my car slides, whatever it happens to be, that's God's ordinary providence. It happens in service to the salvation of the elect, whatever that is, we don't always understand how, that's God's ordinary providence. God brought it about for his good purposes, according to the wisdom of his counsel. When we attribute this to like weird natural forces, like the moon or the tides or astrology or or knocking on wood because it scares away the imps or whatever the weird history of that tradition is, we're robbing away from God his rightful glory for bringing about all things according to his will, And we're attributing it to something else. So that superstition element, I just think we all like, I have to be honest. It's really hard for me. And I have to like, really think about this at work when somebody says something that I know, the ordinary response is knock on wood, right? right? Like the knock on wood superstition is basically if someone says something and usually it's like a situation that's a good situation and you don't want it to change. When you verbalize it, you have to say knock on wood. And I think the origin is like you scare away the gremlins or the fairies right. or whatever it is that might take your your positive statement and like react in mischief to it. So like if I say, man, this, the phones have been nice and manageable today. Uh, it's I've been able to keep up with all my work. The concept is there's like a little fairy or an imp or a demon or a gremlin or something that's waiting and it's just going to throw their mischief into it. So I knock on wood in order to scare them away. Well, that seems harmless, but I will tell you this. When I when I make a statement that ordinarily should be followed up with, according to conventions, should be followed up with knock on wood, or when I say, like, man, the phones have been really manageable or really slow today, and someone says, oh, don't say that because, you know, the second you say that, the phones are going to pick up. Right. And I go, yeah, I, I don't believe in superstition. I'm not a superstitious person. Or, like, yeah, th- there's no cause and effect relationship to that. That may seem like a weird pedantic thing for me to say, and you would think people would would be like, oh, come on. Actually, that's one of those things where people notice that I'm very different than they are. They notice that I'm not a superstitious person, even more than... My striving to be honest in my interactions with 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 my colleagues or my my clients or whoever, even more than my striving to be honest, there's a lot of non Christians that strive to be honest. There's not a lot of non Christians that care about not being superstitious. So like these are things that really do set us apart from other believers or other non believers um, that I think we really need to think about, and it's because. We're not willing to attribute to fate or chance or natural forces or supernatural versus things that really belong to God.
0: Honestly, I can't tell. It seems like you're really trying to set me up to say I'm not superstitious. I'm a little stitious. <laughs> just a little stitious. You just, because that was said so many times. Yeah, of course I agree. I didn't anticipate that we were going to go this direction. But I think this just that is just one example of many because we can't talk about all of them, where our culture in particular has like appropriated an idea that seems innocent on the face, but actually the words matter. The way that you express something matters if you use language that's consistent with the culture, it actually sometimes will betray that you actually don't have a different belief system than the culture, right? And if I can be even more extreme for just a second, let's talk about the knock on wood. With all the things that you just said, which are absolutely true in terms of like its genesis of where the phrase comes from, what you're literally doing when you when you say, like, even if you just mockingly you you know somebody comes and like knocks their forehead or Knocks the table that they're sitting at. What you're basically doing is setting up an altar to appease a god, and your sacrifice is the literal knocking. Yep. And so, like, it's showing that there's some forces that are in the world that are in a way transcendent that you can appease or control by even doing this small thing. And so that is absolutely like a violation of the first commandment, which shows like how deep it goes. That anytime, even in our minds or hearts, we set that up. And I am certainly guilty of saying something like, oh, I don't want to jinx this thing. Yeah. Of course, what I mean by that is just like, I wish it would go my way. Right. But I know at the end of the day that God has control of all things. He has a purposeful sovereignty. But wouldn't it be better for all of us just to lean into that? I think like many, many years ago at this point, I had that affirmation of like, when you're talking to people, even who are not believers, just say what you mean. Yeah. Just say what you mean. Be yeah. plain about it. So if God's in control of something, you say, God's in control of that. I'm not worried about that. Or I'm willing to submit to whatever God decides here. It takes it away. So whether it's, we're talking about Star Wars and the force or like, that's why those concepts play so well in our culture. Why absolutely seems so epic and relatable and reasonable is because we might differ on the way it's being described, but we're all sensing that there's something like luck or fortune or what we would say is providence, but it's better to identify the truth and to call it out by name. And I think that's exactly what's set for us here in the first commandment is to just lean into that so that we understand that we're not worshiping something in a false way, or we're not taking what is rightfully God's, as you said, either by way of our gratitude or his responsibilities for working all things for the good for those who love him or called according to his purpose, that we are not attributing that to somebody else or saying that's merely like just kind of out there and ephemeral and capricious, like that is such rebellion. It's such an insult to God, and certainly I've been guilty of that. You know, it strikes me that the remedy for all the danger that we just talked about is, of course, to know who the true God is. But it's not sufficient for us to have a desire to worship God. The commandment makes it clear that we need authoritative guidance regarding how to worship the Lord. Yes. In Israel's case, he had revealed himself to them as Yahweh. I am who I am, the God of the covenant who had rescued the men of Egypt. And one feature of the religious life of Egypt, like you said, was that there were many, like, I would say like physical objective gods. But here's the thing, like we should we just got to be honest with this. If you think that people in India right now who are caught up in idol worship are somehow thinking that the statue before them, like if it falls off the shelf and gets destroyed, that somehow the god has been destroyed, that, that's foolish. That's not what they're thinking. The right. representation of a transcendent power right. that comes in a visible form. So this is, all people are not, not just like silly little people, they're looking, we're all looking, we're made to look, we're made to worship for that transcendent truth. Yeah. It's easier for us to focus our eyes on an object that we think is directly or derivative connected to that tr- transcendent truth. But the bottom line is, we will do that with money, we'll do that with family, we'll do the power, prestige, or position. We will just keep doing it. And God is saying to us, do not hurt yourselves. Come into a place where you understand that all of life, all of the blessings, all of the abundance of life is found just in me. And the sooner that you understand this and the Holy Spirit applies to your life, the sooner you understand that there is nothing else that can satisfy and fulfill like me, everything else collapses under the, the weight of worship except for God. And I will say this, I just love that God starts this way and tells us the truth about that. I mean, don't you? Like yeah. that God just said, I tell you the truth. And here's here's the honest truth. It's a bit like, you know, you, you know, you have a son and uh, yeah, I mean he's ready to walk. I've seen him, he's, he's ready to so run. Close. He's just gonna run everywhere. So good luck to you all. <laughs> <laughs> That's why there's no first edition books in this house. Yeah, good providence to you all because he's gonna move and when he moves, he's gonna be fast. Now, if he goes to run out into the street because he's just enjoying the world, and you arrest him physically, maybe harshly, you grab his arm and pull him back. That is the greatest thing you can do out of a profound love, because it is saving. And one might argue, well, like, listen, it's, it's August volition to run. Let the legs run, run, forest run, and you're saying, listen, he's he's going to be destroyed. Yeah. And so to save him and to bring him back into the safety of what it is to to live and to continue to live and to live abundantly, that's the greatest thing that God could do to us. So when He gives us these laws with the harsh and the sharp edge, it really is the saying. Don't hurt yourself. I love you. So I think there's so much here that we ought to understand in light of of giving gratitude to God then for all the good things he gives us. And then also to understand that when he says like, have no others before me, he's zealous. He's jealous. This is what he desires for us. It's also born out of love. And God's love is always to give. And he's giving these 10 words for our good.
1: Yeah, that I think that's a good transition to sort of talk about the last point, and and this this is a point that I think could bear a whole episode, so we're not going to belabor it. But each commandment, maybe not each commandment, some of the commandments have like sort of special features attached to them that that other commandments don't. So like this this commandment. Sometimes people read it as like have no other gods before me as like don't put any gods as a priority before me. Right. And some of the liberal critics uh, and I mean liberal in like the technical sense like like liberal from like the the 50s and 60s theologically liberal critics people like Schleiermacher they'll read this and and say like we well, are allowed to have other gods as long as they're not a more prioritized god than than Yahweh. They read it as like sort of this henotheistic. You can have other gods as long as as long as Yahweh is like the chief god. That is not at all what it says. And the grammar doesn't even suggest that. This isn't before me, as in like in priority. It's literally have no other gods before my face or like in my presence, right? This is a this is a statement. This is gonna sound weird, especially with how hard I came against Josh Butler's terrible article last week or whatever it was. This is actually a statement of intimate offense. And what I mean by that is, I'm just going to read Calvin because he puts it really well. He says, the phrase that follows before me makes the offense more heinous because God is provoked to jealousy as often as we substitute our own inventions in place of him. This is like a shameless woman who brings in an adulterer before her husband's very eyes only to vex him, vex his mind all the more. So when God says, have no other gods before me, it's not as though he's saying like, you can have them behind my back or as long as they're not more important to me. He's making a statement that says, I see everything you're doing. I know everything you're doing. And there's a special level of offense and offensiveness to this kind of idolatry because it happens in God's very presence. It's it's not just all sins are offensive to God. Right, we'll, we'll we will probably talk about it. We'll probably do an episode later on and talk about like some of the, um, like minutia or details of this. Minutia is not the right word, but like the details that the reform tradition holds on some of this kind of ethics stuff. So the, the example I'm thinking of is like there are some sins that are worse than others, and the reformed tradition in the confessional tradition spells out like what the aggravating context of it might be that makes it one sin worse than another. This is a sin. And this is – I think this is probably why it's the first commandment. It's the top of the list because it's particularly offensive to the omnipotent, all-present, all-knowing, all-seeing, all, 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 all powerful for God when you suppose that you might be able to put something before him. Amen. Because he knows it, he sees it, and you know that he sees it. Like this is one of those things, God's power and God's omnipotence, his omnipresence. That's part of the, part of what all people know. Like Paul has that statement in Romans one, that God's invisible attributes, namely his power, his, his, cre- that he created the world. Those things are known to all people and they right. suppress that in righteous. It's plainly known. It's made manifest. You have to deny it because you know it to be true. It's not something that anyone can say. Well, I didn't realize that was the case. It's not just that we don't understand it, or that that the non-Christian doesn't understand it. They know it to be true, and they suppress that knowledge in their unrighteousness. This is not just offensive to God because it's an untruth that's spoken against Him, but it's thrown in His face. So when the when the um, when the Hindu believer. Worships Krishna or or you know, um, Vishnu or any of these other polytheistic gods, or the the Muslim worships um, Muhammad, or the modern Jew fails to acknowledge the Trinity and and denies that the Son and the Spirit are God. Whatever the the modern rejection of God might be, the contemporary rejection of God might be, that is not just someone who doesn't understand the truth. It's actually a slap in the face. It All would right. be like if a man was committing adultery on his wife, and, and rather than just commit it privately in a corner, which is bad enough on its own, but actually did it right in front of their face, brought it right in their front of their face and threw it in front of their face. That is an act that is not only intended to be unfaithful, but is intended to be hurtful. And that's what this statement in the commandment is. When we worship other gods, when we engage in this superstition, when we fail to be grateful, when we invoke the saints or we invoke angels, that would be a whole different topic on how I think sometimes Protestants, even Reformed Protestants, sometimes, and this sort of blurs the line with superstition. Sometimes we actually will like say things that seem to indicate we actually are more like Roman Catholics than we believe. Of course. Right? Right. Like I heard a joke one time, like, like, um, Somebody said instead of saying certain things, we should say, like, by the beard of Odin. And I'm like, okay, like, that's kind of funny. But, like, at the same time, I'm a little bit uncomfortable with it. Because although none yeah. of us really think Odin exists, or at least, like, yeah. we don't worship Odin, I'm a Can little bit uncomfortable sick? with invoking his name. Like, even, yeah. even as a joke, I'm a little bit uncomfortable with that. We are so quick to sort of push some of this stuff away. But what the, what the Bible teaches and what, what the Reformed tradition is understood in this phrase before me is that when we break the first commandment, although breaking any of God's commandments is odious to God and it's offensive to God, all of it merits hell. When we break the first commandment, we are like the adulterer who not only does this sin in secret, but intends to hurt our spouse by doing it in public, by doing it right in front of their face. Like that should really give us pause to think about the next time. And again, again, My goal and our goal in this series is not to burden people with unnecessary specificity on what you can and can't do. So although I think it's unwise and probably in most cases, a violation of the first commandment to say knock on wood, I also recognize that there's a cultural convention with that. And even most people who say knock on wood don't think they're chasing away fairies who are going to somehow... but. Even that, we should really think carefully before we attribute, even something like this. I will have a patient sometimes who they come to my office and they've got a situation that I can't help them with. I mean, that's just a fact of my job. Sometimes I can't help them with what they're asking for. And so sometimes when I'm le- when they're leaving my office and I know they've got a situation they're trying to tackle and I'm not the right resource to help them, sometimes I'll say, well, good luck to you. Right. And I'm, right. what I'm trying to say is, like, I hope things go well for you. I hope right. that you get what you're looking for. I hope you are able to accomplish the task that you're trying to accomplish. I, re- and this is a personal conviction, I really need to think twice before I tell someone good luck to you. Right. Because basically, what I'm saying is, like, there's no providence. I hope right. things work out. Like, good luck right. to you. What maybe I need to be more intentional to say is what I actually mean. I hope things go well for you. Right, I exactly. hope you're able to admit. Maybe I just need to mean, say what I actually mean. Right on. And instead of saying good luck to you, I need to say, I hope things work out or I hope that you get what you're looking for. Yeah. I think that if we took the time to actually think through that and really execute on that, that would be countercultural. You want to talk about being countercultural? That would be countercultural. I remember, um, and this is the last thing I'll say. I remember a time and this was years ago when I was working in the kidney transplant department and, um, a, a, one of, one of the people in the transplant department was having a surgery or something like that. And, um, everyone was saying things like, Oh, good energy. I'll I'll be, I'll be sending you good wishes or I'll be thinking (laughs) of you. And I remember, I remember I was in a meeting and everyone was like, well, let's just make sure that we send this person good, good wishes or that we send them good energy. And I just, I I don't even, I wasn't even thinking. If I was thinking, I probably wouldn't have said it. I just said, what does that do? Like, what's the point of that? What is it? What is it? Do you really have the ability to send someone good energy? Because if you do, I'd really like to talk to you about that. No, we don't have that ability. That's not a human ability. No one really believes that. No one believes that if, I shouldn't say nobody, but most people who say things like, I'm thinking good thoughts for you. They don't really think that does anything in terms of the outcome. That doesn't affect the surgery. That doesn't affect the test. If I were when you were taking your test, if I said I'm thinking good thoughts for you, that doesn't affect <laughs> your ability to to do well on the test. It doesn't. Yeah. If you say, "Hey, can you pray for me?" I'm um, you know, this. Right. I'm I'm really nervous that the the examiner who's reading my responses. Uh, I really want them to have the right perspective on what I'm saying. And I go, yeah. well, I'm thinking good thoughts for you, Jesse. Like that doesn't make any difference. However, if I say to you, if I say to you, let's let's say I don't want to go the full, the full Monty and say, well, I'm praying for you. I, I'm not one of those people that thinks we always have to express our Christian position in every possible circumstances. There's a strategic element of not, of course. not throwing in someone's face what it is that we're doing. We should never be dishonest we should never hide ourselves but it may not be beneficial to say this Well, i'm praying for you that may just be offensive unnecessarily that said i can still say to them i really hope that things go well for you i hope you do well on the test i hope that the person who's reading your test is charitable i hope that they're reading it in the best possible way and they're looking for ways to 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 give you the benefit of the doubt they're trying to read your answers assuming that you've done the work and that you're, you're qualified for this. That is very different than saying, "Well, I'll send good thoughts your way." <laughs> like that's a totally useless sentiment, unless we actually think that my thinking good thoughts somehow accomplishes something, and that's the superstition we're talking about. So I think we just have to be cautious and we have to really think through these things as Christians, because they're not neutral. They say something to, exactly. right They say something to the person we're talking to, but that's almost secondary. They say something to God. We're doing this in his presence before him. Are we yeah. attributing to him the providence and the glory and his intimate involvement in all things that he deserves? Yes. Or are we somehow abstracting him to relegate it to good thoughts? And like is right. my ability to think good thoughts somehow outside of his sovereignty. So right. again, there's no law here. I mean, there is law here. We're talking about the 10 commandments, <laughs> but I'm not trying to impose my own understanding of how of exactly This works. These are just things we need to think about because this is God's law. We are to give him all the glory that he's due. We are to not detract from his glory. As Calvin says, even a particle of his glory should not be detracted from him. Well, we have to be careful because it's easy to do that in a fallen world.
0: Yeah. That's the point, isn't it? That the slope is really slippery. And so the 10 words give us that guidance. It is as if we're, as we're on that slope and climbing it in a kind of a pilgrim's progress kind of way, God anchors the rope for us and that anchor are, is the 10 laws. Yeah, exactly. The it's, it's the law of God. So I'm with you. Let me say this as we close because we're already into hour two, but you know, sorry, now, sorry. So first I would say, um, you know, this is the kind of thing where I'm sometimes worried because of the stuff that we talk about that people don't know my non-excited voice. They just think <laughs> I'm just all the time. And I promise you, I'm not. So, trying to bring it down a step here, everybody. So, this is my my chill, the chill Jesse voice. Uh, even though I'm going to say all the things that are very meaningful to me and resonate with what you just said. And that is everybody has this sense that there are things outside of their control. And they just attribute that outside of controlness to something. Right. That's the natural thing we're talking about. And God is saying to us, you will attribute it to everything by nature except to me. And so, I'm telling you, you just ought to attribute it to me. Yeah. I'm with you. This is the reason why I think, for instance, I got a little too excited there. This is the reason, for instance, why, honestly, and to your point, you want to read the room, so to speak, properly. But when I'm interacting with somebody who's a non-believer, I've never, ever, not once, been denied when I've said, could I pray for you right now about that thing? And I think part of that is because all of us sense that there's so much that is far outside of us, that there is like a literal transcendence, the nature in the walking of life, That if somebody can offer us something which is real and true to help us understand that transcendence or that that transcendence either might be used for advantage or even if it's not, that we might understand and have peace with that transcendence. They want that thing. And that's just because we're born and it's like we inculcate that by way of being human. So I think that what you've kind of challenged us all with this idea of like, the supernatural and then superstition in particular is really helpful. I think it's best for us to avoid all that language. I have some jokes with some brothers where we we always say, like I just said to you, like good providence, yeah. which is like the way of saying luck is this quantity. We At least in the calendar here, we've just gone through St. Patrick's Day. In this idea that luck is like some quantity in the world that does something for us, but it's like totally inane. Yeah. It's innate, it's impotent. It is an idol for many people. And I think that sometimes we get confused and we think, well, unless like I really think of an idol seriously, it's not an idol. Anytime we attribute anything like that, that where we should be directing the superintending will of God to Himself, to God. And we instead instead of make a joke about it or even use like language which just embraces the culture, we actually do a disservice. Yeah. That's the high standard of the law. So we need God to come and educate us, to illuminate us, to make it illustrative so that we might change even the way that we speak because it's not helpful. Because to your point, Tony, isn't it so much better when somebody is in a state of confusion or anxiety that we might say, God is in control of all things. I want to pray for you because I entrust myself. Like when you say, I hope goes all goes well for you, that's true because you're directing, hope is a true verb in which we might direct that hope and anchor it in the person of Jesus Christ yeah. and God and the Father and the Holy Spirit. And so by that sense, we are being true to what is actually the case in reality, as opposed to just kind of trying to use language that might be the most reasonable or that might might resonate the easiest. It's, it's better to avoid it altogether. So I love this because, Isn't this what we're after? Like, if at the end of this, let's say like, worse, and I say this in a weird way, worst case scenario, all, quote unquote, all that comes out of this is we change our language. Would that not be a great and glorious thing? Because we'd be bringing the way that we speak under great authority of Jesus Christ, and that we might be giving him more glory, and that we might be aligning the way in which we communicate and relate to people more closely and cogently with the scriptures, I think I need a lot of that actually. So what if yeah. it, the point of this whole series is not gonna be that like, listen, do you all know that you should put God first? Everybody's mostly gonna raise the hand and be like, <laughs> yeah, I get that. Yeah, But like, the last time I said good luck, or last time I said knock on wood, or like, I don't wanna jinx it, but like when I say that kind of thing, even if somebody isn't thinking in their mind, well, that's confusing because it seems like Jesus would have, or Jesus, Man, it seems like Jesse would have a high view of Jesus, and would understand sovereignty to know that, like all things, are subservient to His salvation. Like even if they don't think that thing, I am presenting a worldview, right, that is outside of the thing that I'm saying that I believe. Yeah. And if I can bring even the way I speak into greater alignment with that, not only will I think that cement for me the way in which I'm thinking and processing the world, but it will give a clearer testimony. And that is the thing I'm really after. So. God is doing his work in the law. He's always doing his work in the law. And man, is it great to hang out with the law? See, August knows. Yeah, you can
1: hear him in the background. Yeah, he just woke up. Well, on that note, because he did just wake up, I'll just close out by uh, one thing that we don't do enough, just between you and me and all of the listeners is thank our patreon subscribers so i know that we do try uh you know some some podcasts make sure that they say thank you every episode and and we maybe should do that better but there is a, a group of people who contribute to the show financially um we have various overhead costs that we have to maintain to keep the show going and jesse and i um It's funny because we never explicitly talked about this, but we both just came to the same conclusion. Like we always want the podcast to be free. We want everything that we are providing to the listener. We want that available to everybody who wants it. So I've no shade on other shows that have special Patreon exclusive stuff. That's just never been our jam. The reason that we can do that and not have to have a lot of different tiers and special things is because there is a core group of people who have committed to providing this show for you. So Jesse and I, Jesse and I get to do the fun part of talking about theology on the microphones. Uh, And there's a group of people who do the behind the work behind the scenes work of contributing financially to make sure that there is software to be able to edit microphones to be able to record on um webcasts you know websites that are able to produce or to host this um so thank you so much if you are currently a patreon subscriber um we we really could not do the show uh with the freedom and flexibility that we do without uh without your help so thank you so much and all of that said if this is a show that you think is valuable, if you think the content that we're producing is worthwhile and you want other people to have access to it, then really, I, I want you to consider coming and partnering with us. You know, There's a number of things that Jesse and I would really love to do um, coming up in the future, and you'll hear more about it as we go. Uh, the, the baby is crawling. And he wants to be on the show. There's a number of things that we would really like to do in the future, that's gonna require a little bit more funding. So if that's something you think you might be on board with, um, if you want me to be able to send my son to college someday, (laughs) I'm just kidding, we're not gonna fund personal stuff we would really ask you to consider joining on as a patron. So you can go to patreon.com slash reform brotherhood. You can jump in at any level, any amount of money that you want to give us, whether it's a dollar or it's $30 or it's $3, every little bit helps. So please consider that. And thank you so much to the people who have already jumped on to, to help us with that.
0: Yeah, that that's what is for real. So I'm, I'm going to close this out. I'm seeing my nephew and he's super adorable. Again, loved ones, the podcast has failed you because uh, August is a, a good looking little boy so with all I said until next time honor everyone love the brotherhood
1: Bye. Bye.